and welcome to the strangest gig I've ever played. True tales from the studio and the stage. I'm your host, Chris J. Norwood. This is the podcast where we hear the true tales of all those strange, weird, wild, wacky, terrible, and or amazing gigs we have to play in order to make it as freelance and gigging musicians. On the podcast with us this week is Jeff Ryan, drummer extraordinaire. Another drummer. Let's get to it. Welcome back. I know it's been a minute. You know, life happens. Things get in the way, the holidays and all that good stuff. But we're back with episode number five of the podcast. This week we feature my good friend, Jeff Ryan. Jeff works for State Fair Records, among the many other things that he does. He helped me out a lot with my most recent album, I Am Not Cool. And here's a shameless plug. My album, I Am Not Cool, came out on August 20th of last year. Hope you'll check it out. If you'd like to do that, you can go to chrisjnorwood.com. But that's not why we're here. We're here to talk to one Jeff Ryan. He's also a drummer and has had the good pleasure of getting to play with some pretty incredible artists like St. Vincent, The War on Drugs, Sarah Jaffe, and many more. He's also a writer for Modern Drama Magazine. Jeff has some pretty funny stories that he will share later in the podcast, so let's get to it. So welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, it's good to be here. Let's just jump right in. Um, tell tell me about your tell me about your current gig. What you're what you're doing now? I mean, obviously, I know, but for the for the radio <laughs> listeners out there. So what I do, uh, you know, a number of things. I wear a, a few hats. So as far as drumming wise, what I do um, in my musical world is I'm playing drums for a band called Motorcade. Um, I play drums for Doug Burr. Jackson Scribner, uh, Pleasant Grove on occasion when we're not on hiatus. Yeah. <laughs> and really just kind of, you know, whoever kind of calls and like, you know, they y'all, y'all called me to put a bass drum on that Raglan Road. Yeah, you know, for sure. Just studio, you know, for higher stuff. And then for job jobs, you know, I obviously work for State Fair Records uh, in like sales and distribution, event management, artist management. Uh, all that fun stuff. So just a number of things, and it's um, it's super fun uh, to do all of them. <laughs> I sometimes, I at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, what's on for tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> you got to tally up all the things. Yeah, every musician yeah. I talk to is always so far. Everybody I've interviewed been like, well, I don't just do one thing, and that yeah. just that's kind of the way the you know us mid level music industry people are these days. You have to do a little bit of a lot. You have to do a little bit of a lot, man, you know? Um, yeah, just anything that really comes down the pike. I mean, you know, we did that. I don't know if you knew or not, but we did that <laughs> Cowboys private party thing. I saw that, you know? yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was just a total money gig, you know? But yeah. I was like, I'll do it. Yeah, sure. it looked like a blast. Oh, my gosh. It was awesome. It was awesome. But, yes, yeah, so that's, that's it. I mean, drums have been, you know, my thing. You know, I'll be, if you can believe it, Chris, um, which, you know, obviously you'll say no way, but, um, you know, to flatter me, but, you know, I turned the big five. Oh, I months. don't believe it. <laughs> I don't believe it at all. It is. It is truth. Uh, 
I, you know, uh, will be the big five zero in early March, and but I see no signs of of stopping this madness of uh, daily grind of what I do. <laughs> Just keep going, you know. Just yeah, absolutely. Keeping. Well, so talk about then, um, if you want, talk about kind of how you got started drumming, and then some of those some of those early bands you were in, because um, you've you've got to drum with some pretty awesome people over the years. Yeah, I got real, real lucky. I, honestly, not to be you know self-deprecating, but you know that that is honestly you know I feel like wow, I really played with them, huh? That's that's really wild. So, well, you know, in college you have you had your college bands. I started playing drums really, you know, just to kind of backtrack even further. I'm gonna be the big five zero, you know, next this coming March. But I started playing drums when I was six. Um, oh, early, yeah. Yeah, super early, and I never had lessons um, until, uh, really, I went to, to North Texas, and I didn't really have lessons. I, just got, I got a few, like, private lessons from some jazz students there, and I got some, like, Latin chops and some jazz chops, and I was like, okay, with well, whatever dinosaur drumming I was doing before, you know, if I yeah. got combine, you know, combine those two things, or you know, these three things, dinosaur drumming, with a little bit of jazz knowledge and independence and Latin, I think, so I think I can maybe, I can play a bit, you know? Yeah. Um, so then, you know, I, I think one of the, one of the first kind of cool things I started playing with was in the band Pleasant Grove. And, and that was, you know, it was a local band, but, you know, because we had international uh, interest, because we were signed to a, a label in Germany called Glitterhouse. And, you know, I mean, I was in the band for like, not even a year, and we went and toured Europe for three weeks. Wow, that's great. Yeah, and I mean, that was my first time. That was my first time to really, like, tour tour, and I toured for the first time, really. You know, I was, yeah, touring in Germany, Austria, <laughs> uh, and Switzerland. So, yeah, your first big tour is overseas. That's yeah, a trip. it was a total trip. And then we came back, and then the next leg of a tour we did with, like, a five-day run was Slobberbone, and I'm like, this is not like touring in Switzerland. <laughs> why, why am I sleeping on someone's floor? We had our own hotel over there. What's going on? Uh, a little bit different, yeah. A bit different. And so, how, old, you know, how old were you at the time? Uh, I think I was in my late 20s. Okay, yeah. From, from college, it took me a good, you know, maybe five, six years to kind of make my way around in Dallas and kind of get to know some folks, you know. And, um, and from Pleasant Grove, I went to Baptist General to a sub-pop band. And I did a bunch of tour with them, which I think some of the stories are like a story I can relate later um, about weirdness uh, will be with them. Um, but, you know, really from then, I, I started getting just, the, you know, the Cliff Notes version, but I started getting calls because of my two really close friends were Stuart Sykes, uh, oh, yeah. you know, winning and nominated producer, engineer, you know, for the White Stripes, and Loretta Lynn and, and, every, and the Walkman and everybody else. Yeah. Uh, Sparkle Horse. I mean, he's like the go. He was the go-to. He still is the go-to guy. Um, and John Congleton. <laughs> like they shared a studio in a right. clip. Do they still right? have that studio? No. Well, it is still there, and I think John owns it, but he rents it out to Alex Bohr. Okay. And Alex was in that band. This will destroy you. And now he's just mainly is an engineer and a drummer also. Gotcha. Um, but at the time, and and then this is like in the late. Now this is now. Fast forward to like the late 2000s. Yeah. Uh, well, like the 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11, you know? Right. Um, 
and they were at the heyday of there. I mean, everybody was going through that studio, man. I mean, the Walkman, you name it. I yeah. Mean, Vincent, the war on drugs. I mean, everybody was flowing through there. And I would just happen to, because I was such a good friend with them and I'd done so many sessions with them before with other bands. They knew that I could, you know, play a bit. And, you know, I mean, Congleton texted me one day and he goes, hey, man, do uh, you want to come play some drums with St. Vincent? And I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll be there. You know, but this is at the time. Did he call her St. Vincent that, or did he say Annie Clark? He did say St. Vincent. Okay. Uh, and and it, at the time, though, I only really kind of barely knew about her from Pitchfork. And I knew yeah. she was kind of a local gal, but had moved to New York. And long story short, I mean, this was just after her first album, Marry Me, had come out. And, um, you know, she wasn't, she was still like an indie darling. Right, she wasn't yeah. Of, <laughs> she wasn't of a status she is now. Right. Uh, but she was super sweet, and I did a couple songs for the actor record. Um, I played on this, the, the lead track actor and, and another track. Um, I forgot the name of it. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, you know, then the war on, I played the war on drugs uh, just like soon after that too um, at Elmwood. Just, I think I only played on one song on the album, the slave ambient album. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think it was the song I was there or you were there or we were there. Yeah. Something like, something like it's like the third track on that album. It's, yeah. Um, and I played on that and it was so funny because as I was tracking it, I, I mean, it doesn't, you know, the war on drugs, like it doesn't really change a lot, you know, and this is the early stuff. Like it's pretty straight and just, just goes for it. You know? Yeah. 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 I remember looking, <laughs> I was tracking the song. I remember looking over at John in the control room and Adam, um, Grinduciel, you know, at the yeah. time he and I were playing, we tracked it together, and he had his head down, his long hair all over his face, and you know, and I look at John, and he looks at me like I have no idea, like it, like the <laughs> songs, <laughs> like nothing was changing. I was playing the exact same pattern for like eight minutes. I'm like, is this over? Are we? What's happening? <laughs> it's just still rolling. Yeah, are we still rolling? I mean, I haven't changed. I think I'm still with the click. I mean, I don't know what's what's going on. <laughs> so those were those were two pretty big, you know, highlights. And then I've you know just gone on to play with whoever Doug Burr, Sarah Jaffe, um, you know, play with a, a bazillion shows and two or three records, I think, with her. Um, you know, um, Daniel Johnston, I got to sit in with oh, that's live. Great. Yeah. Which, totally falls into that weird show thing. Yeah, I'm mean, sure. Oh my God. Daniel Johnson. Yeah, I'll tell you about that. Um, and then know, you do so, a little writing also for Modern Drummer, right? Right, yeah. So I got, um, and you know, a lot of these things, I just kind of like just took a chance and just, that literally, you know, Chris, I just, I emailed the editor one day. Oh, fun. And said, hey, yeah, I just emailed him and I said, hey, you know, I'm this and I've played with these guys and I know these guys and you know, I'm, you know, I was kind of being a bit brash about it, I guess. It's yeah. like, I see a gap in your magazine, <laughs> you know, cause they were covering like all the jazzers and all like the heavy metalers and, yeah. and, and I was like, there's a lot of amazing drummers that are like, you know, like you said, kind of like the mid-level, like they're playing yeah. for like four or 500 people a night on, on the road. And, you know, they're not super famous, but these are people that... But they're killer, yeah. They're killer players, and I think everybody should know about them, you know? Yeah. So, 
I, you know, I wrote a few articles, you know, for them, and I'm, I'm actually working on one now um, that I'll just tell you about. Um, awesome, yeah. It's with, it's, these are not unknown players. <laughs> it's kind of freaked me out because I've been emailing back and forth with them. Um, but there is an article coming out on their podcast. It's about um, Lowell Tolhurst, who was the original drummer for The Cure. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, Budgie uh, from Susie and the Banshees. Oh, right on. So, so I got an email from Budgie one day and I was like, okay, can I, fr- how can I frame that? <laughs> <laughs> you printed it out. And... <laughs> yeah. Um, you should so mail it to him and see if he'll sign it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so that's something I'm working on at, at the moment. I've got a, a few of the little things that they kind of, modern drummer, I mean, I, you know, it's a, I'm a contributor, contributing writer, but it's like, maybe you know one or two a year articles because there's so many of us you know but it's an it's an honor to do it because i grew up reading that magazine and you know oh for sure you know and i've I've written like an educational piece in it and i was like what am i gonna talk about (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what i'm doing half the time anyway that's funny so i uh like it's the same thing with me with uh like i've been watching and reading premiere guitar for you know, since I was a kid, since I first started playing. Right. And like my, the, the pinnacle of guitardom is being featured on one of the rig rundowns. Oh yeah. That they do on YouTube. So I, I'm, I imagine it's the same kind of thing for you. So I bet that's really cool. It is cool. It's flattering. You know, when you get to do something for a magazine, like, Oh wow, I love this magazine. And this guy that I've, I've read his articles is emailing me. That's yeah. So now, um, now let's get into the fun stuff. Tell me about the strangest gig you've ever played. And by strange, I don't necessarily mean like, you know, bad or terrible, but you know, you play those gigs where like you, you look up and you're thinking, how did I get here? What, what, what turn of events led me to this place in front of, you know, whatever it may be. Right. Well, I, it's funny, you know, when you asked me to do this, I was like, gosh, I've got you know, I, I know we we have a limited time, and I'm not gonna you know run over by any means. But and I was actually talking to my wife about it today. Um, I was like, she's like, oh, remember that time that this happened? I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah, I remember that? Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just this. So, honestly, there's. I think it's because I'm I'm old, <laughs> and I've played so many gigs. There's a lot, but I'll I'll, I'll narrow it down to a couple. So there's there's one there's one in particular that anybody asks me. <laughs> Like what? Uh, what's what's the weirdest thing that's happened to the gig, or what's the weirdest yeah. gig you played? This one always is pretty much at the top. Um, I I was playing in uh, in Dublin in Ireland, and I was with Sarah Jaffe, and we were we were on a, about a three or four week tour uh, supporting Midlake, and we were just had played. We've been playing all over. I don't even know where we were in Norway and. Brussels and Belgium. It was yeah. crazy, super fun. Yeah, and you know, we get to, we get to, <laughs> we get to Dublin. And I'm like, awesome! I've never been to Ireland before. This is gonna be great. You know, I'm, I'm like half Irish, so I'm like, this is like this is gonna be amazing. So we get on stage, and I think I'm not sure if you know if all the audience may know or not, or if you know Chris, but I mean, Midlake is like they couldn't sell out the Kessler here. Yeah, you know. They're massive over there. That's crazy. And, oh, it's really crazy. Like, we ended the tour at Shepherd's Bush Empire in London. Oh, wow. And it was sold out. And, like, crazy. that's like four, that's three and a half thousand people. Yeah. 
And like people like Ed O'Brien from Radiohead were on a guest list. I'm not kidding. Oh, fun. Uh, I mean, like that. And I'm like, but you guys can't even play the guest list. (laughs) It's just this weird across the ocean thing that they've had because of the label they're on. Anyway, so playing the the Dublin gig. And I mean, I love that that tour was so fun because we, you know, over in Europe, you play it like eight. You know, it's so early. I mean, by 8.30, I was done every night, which is dangerous as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I can imagine. Uh, yeah. But um, we were playing, and we're like we're like halfway through the gig, and it was sold out at this place called Vicker Street, uh, right in the heart of Dublin. And it was like a Sunday night. It was Valentine's night in Dublin on, you know, at this big venue. This, I think it was sold out. So I think I, think I remember them telling me the state, the tour manager was like, I think it was 1,400 there that night. So yeah. we're playing, and it's a huge crowd, and we made a bunch of friends, you know, and stuff, so in, in pubs and stuff the day before, and so they all came. It was like a big party, you know? Yeah. Playing along, and I'm like, why? <laughs> why is there a dog <laughs> in the audience? <laughs> and, like, these guys are walking around with these dogs, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> and so I'm playing the gig, playing the gig, getting you know, the door set, and we run back upstairs, and, um, and I run back, and the, the stage manager, not the tour manager, but the stage manager of the venue, yeah. ran me, like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm great. I'm just going to go get a drink. I thought that was a pretty good show. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, no, 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 are you all right? And I'm like, I'm fine. <laughs> What's up? And he goes, oh, we got a bomb threat. Oh, no. <laughs> And they didn't think to tell the band? No, they just like, oh, just keep, just keep going. <laughs> well, they didn't want it. What they didn't want, they didn't want to alarm. I guess they would have a stampede. You yeah. Know? That's, where the, that's where the sniffing dogs. Yeah, a bunch of bomb sniffing dogs. They didn't think it would give it away. <laughs> but what was crazy is that the audience is just used to it. Oh, wow. In Dublin. Right. Yeah, I guess so. So, and then I put two and two together and came up with, you know, Normally I come up with 22, but this time I come up with four, and I was like, oh, I get it. Valentine's night, probably the biggest assembly of people in yeah. Dublin. Someone's going to call in and be a, a jerk. Yeah. You know? so wow. It was freaky, dude. I, I didn't really hit me until like the next morning. I was like, oh, my gosh. That's crazy know, that they didn't like shut everything down. They just kept it going. They just kept going. They're like, our, you know, we got to make money on this gig, I guess. <laughs> I mean, what's the worst that can happen? A bomb goes off, right? <laughs> right. It won't be that bad. We used to... <laughs> it was, it was really, uh, it was really weird. Well, um, it's probably good that you found out after the set and not before. <laughs> you're totally right. Because you know, what's funny is when I was doing it, I was like, I don't, I don't think that's weird. I mean, it's weird. Yeah. But I'm not going to forget about it. And I just kept playing and yeah. You're right. You're totally right. Like, it would have freaked me the you-know-what out. So did the Midlake guys, did they have to go on knowing there was a bomb threat called? Yeah, totally. But by that time, they, they delayed their set a little bit. Okay. And they, we kind of calmed everything down, and we're like, okay, okay, okay. okay. We, we, everything's, everything's kind of back to normal. God, you come out, talk about coming out with some adrenaline, man. Well, the other the other this isn't really a part of the show, but this is a really weird thing, a terrible thing that happened on that tour. So we were going, I think this was the day, the two days before we were traveling, I think from Norway to somewhere. We we just drove all night long in this big 
bus thing, yeah. you know, so I don't know where we were. I just know that it was very cold. By the time we got on a ferry to go to Dublin, it warmed up, obviously, from Norway to there. It was still winter, but it was, wasn't as cold as it was in Norway. Yeah. And our toilet had frozen. <laughs> <laughs> the toilet had frozen in Norway. So oh they were gosh. like, oh, okay, you can do that, but just do one of them. Yeah, just no number twos. <laughs> So, you know, then we're doing those things and, and when we get on the ferry and we get to the get on the back on the bus to drive to Dublin uh, drive the hotel in Dublin, we're like unpacking the bags and we're like, Man, what is up? <laughs> yeah. The toilet had thawed and oh, had no. leaked all over my bag. Oh no. <laughs> so my bag reeked of urine. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah made me put it in the hall. Like I, I couldn't even let it put I couldn't even put it in my room, you know. <laughs> Just get that shit out of here. Oh man, it was it was not good, bro. It was like this is oh. Luckily my for some reason my clothes didn't get ruined cuz it just kind of hit the, the the top of it, but you threw yeah. that bag away as soon as you oh. got home, I guess. Yeah, I made like they bought me a new one that oh. was Sweet. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's definitely that. Those three days on that run, that was definitely one of the weirdest. Yeah, moments. man, that's bizarre. Um, any, I mean, I'm not sure how many you, you want, but I mean, I've got one or two more. Yeah, give sure. me one more. <laughs> so this was a. I mean, I, there's a there's a funny story about Pleasant Grove. We. Um, we, this was back when C and J was like a thing, you know. Yeah. Like we would go up, we would drive all the way to New York, and sorry about the train, by the way. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and go like maybe do one gig in between, and drive all the way to New York and play one show, and we drive all the way home. Oh wow! I mean, we were in our you know late twenties, and we yeah. were like you know, no kids. We're like, ah, let's just go play C and J. Yeah, you know? hang out in New York with you. Well, we wouldn't. <laughs> And, you know, they make, like Southwest West, they make everything like a, every, they make every venue a musical venue, right? Yeah. You know, they make, in Austin, they make taco stands. So. Right, yeah. <laughs> I think I played a hotel lobby one time. Oh, yeah. Well, we played this comedy club in New York. It was near the Bowery. And I, I remember, like, this is kind of weird, you know? And the, 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 club manager or whatever was like okay so you guys gotta stay in this room because Joan Rivers is playing before you okay <laughs> I'm like why is she here and I'm like oh it's a comedy club yeah, comedy, so before, yeah. before the C&J thing even started Joan Rivers like we can say like Joan Rivers opened up for us yeah what a bizarre <laughs> bill <laughs> we're, we're walking down to the stage and there she is coming up Coming up the stairs, we walk right next to her, and she has no idea what's going on. Like she's yeah. a, a star, you know, in, in this fan, you know, or, or stardom mode. And she just looks at us and like we're walking down the stairs, and she's walking up, and she like pats us all on the shoulders as she's walking by us. <laughs> Thanks for coming, loves. Thanks for coming. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I gotta be here, man. I, I'm doing this gig. But, I'm not here for I, you, Joan Rivers. <laughs> But it was super. It was super sweet to meet her, though. I, I did say hi and talk to her. 
talked to her for a second. She was super sweet, but it was so funny. She was like, thanks for coming. <laughs> With that smoker voice. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. She was a trip. And, and little bitty. I mean, I'm, you know, I I'm not, you know, I'm not the tallest guy on the planet, but, you know, she was pretty, pretty small compared to me. Pretty so tiny. those are two seriously weird ones. Um, you know, the time Pleasant Grove played at the Bowery Ballroom and, the only people in the audience we opened up for low were Evan Dando and Ben Queller. Yeah. They're the only, they're the only people watching us. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> like, where's the crowd? <laughs> and why is it those two? Yeah. Because they weren't playing that night or anything? No, no. <laughs> Just well, there? So, yeah, well, Joe Butcher, the, our, our pedestal guitarist at the time, was in Radish for a while. Okay, yeah. You no, know, so and I guess Ben and Evan were friends. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so I was like, and they were stoned out of their mind. Oh wow. You know? Yeah. So, anywho, should have called him up on stage, had a jam session. That, but that, in hindsight, like that's what we should have done. It would have brought people in. Yeah. Know? It was fun, but yeah, many, many, many experiences like that. I mean, we could, we could go on, but uh, those are, those are two or three of them. Those are great. I love it. So something else I like to ask uh, all the guests, uh, I think it's an interesting insight, is tell me now about your dream gig. If you could get a call, like if somebody called you up tomorrow and was like, hey, come play come play drums for me, you know, what what would your dream gig be? Honestly, I, this might surprise you. It, it might not. Um, no, I'm not sure how much you know about my musical past because, you know, I'm a total 80s, like, new waiver really before but really before anything and still like you know i listened to you know new order and you know u2 and the smiths and everything depeche mode i mean all all the time still you know i mean i think being a motorcade you kind of gotta ask you yeah i was gonna say (laughs) it's a prerequisite yeah so my dream gig honestly if i got a call from the cure i would because not really to play on anything new. <laughs> just to go play you know, a date. Just go play a date and to play like the disintegration album or to play the pornography album or to play something of early to mid eighties or late eighties. That would be like a dream gig for me because, you know, I studied. The oh game, yeah. You know, you do all the parts. I, yeah. I knew all the parts, all of them, you know, and still, still do, you know, um, that drummer at the time from the head on the door to past disintegration, I don't remember what it was, Wish, I think, um, his name was Boris Williams, and he was probably one of my biggest inspirations because he was such a melodic drummer, and what I mean, you know, he just, yeah. he had like, you know what I mean? Like, he had like melodic sure. parts that went with all the melodies, and I'm For like, sure. he's not just playing drums, like, his drum part, like, you'd kind of miss it. Yeah, <laughs> if it went away, you know. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just for the full on the floor meat and potatoes stuff. Like this is like something pretty intricate. That's like melodic. And I, that always like totally um, impressed me and, and inspired me really, you know? Cool, man. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. I love, I love having these conversations. They're so much fun getting to hear the stories. Oh man. Thank you so much for, for inviting me. I've been wanting to, I've been thinking about this really, you know, since we first started to do it. 
Thanks again to my good friend Jeff Ryan for stopping by. If you want to know more about him, please check out his band Motorcade. Phenomenal band out of Dallas. They're doing some really great stuff. You can also check out his drumming with my fellow label mate Jackson Scribner. Tune in next time to another episode of The Strangest Gig, where we will hear more stories of the strange, weird, wild, wacky, terrible, and or amazing gigs that we have to take to make it as freelance and gigging musicians. Till next time.